So, hey, uh, we've been in a series called Is Complicated, and we're talking about uh, singleness, dating, and marriage. Anyone been having a good time in this series? Hopefully, you guys have been helped. I've gotten some encouraging feedback uh, from you guys on what God is doing uh, in your lives as a result of that. Um, and we call it It's Complicated because, let's face it, whether you are single, dating, or married, or some other... Uh, category out there, I want to say it's all complicated at times. We felt the complexity of that because uh, there's no cookie cutter formula to these things because we're human beings, right? Everyone is different. Everyone has complex backgrounds and family origin, different things. Um, and so, so I'm excited. We're going to talk about marriage today. All right, we're going to talk about this thing called marriage. All right? And, you know, many of us, we love the idea of marriage, but I want to step back and just acknowledge for what it is. Marriage is a crazy thing. Marriage is kind of a crazy idea. In some ways, I'm like, oh, should we? This is a crazy idea. You have two people from two family backgrounds, two ways of doing things, potentially two different background sets of values, two different personality types, two different food preferences, two different ways to use the restroom, you know, and how they get ready for the day and different things, two different, you know, types of people. And all of a sudden, you're living two totally different lives, and all of a sudden, you bring them together, and in one moment, they become one. And you're locked in for good. <laughs> That's a crazy idea, right? Now, wonder is complicated at times. Two people run in two directions, and all of a sudden, pff, their lives collide and become one under the same roof. And you got to figure it out. Now, wonder at times... Uh, you know, we said, the stats say that we have 50% of marriages in America don't make it. And it is kind of a crazy design that God made, where two become one. But you see, I believe the problem doesn't necessarily lie with God's design of two becoming one. Because you all know that God is the originator of marriage, right? And we see it in Scripture. I believe the problem does not lie with God's design of marriage to becoming one, but I believe it's often that we try to make it into our own design and find our own purposes in marriage rather than going back to his design. You all tracking me? So you ever, you ever try to use something for something other than what it's made for? Like that time when I was in college and, and, I, and I had my potato wrapped with tin foil. And no one ever informed me that you should not put tinfoil in the microwave. That was not a, a, a point that I learned in my upbringing up until that point. What ensued was a purple lightning laser show in my microwave. It was awesome. I probably will not repeat it, but it was a great time for that one time. I did not know that tinfoil was not intended for the microwave. Or it's like that time that I was in high school and let you know that I was not saved yet. And the spirit of, I was sitting at a railroad crossing trap and the spirit of stupid came over me. And I'm looking at that railroad bar and I just have this vision that was not from the Lord of me riding that railroad bar up. So I get out of my car, I'm like, let's see what happens, you know? And psh, the thing does not move more than an inch up and breaks. It was not intended. For someone to ride that thing up, like I said, the spirit of stupid came over it. <clears throat> For many of us when you're younger, the spirit of stupid came over you at one point or another too. Lord, forgive me. I've not attempted that since. Lord, bless that city. Uh, it was not intended for that, right? I love what uh, one pastor, Ben Stewart, said. He said, freedom and fullness is not the absence of boundaries, but it is the ability for something to fulfill is created intent. Freedom and fullness is not found in the absence of boundaries, but in the ability for something to fulfill its created intent. For example, fish are free when they're able to swim. Birds are most free when they're able to fly. And when marriage is done God's way in what it's designed to do, yes, it will take some sacrifice at times, but it will become a place of life. It'll become a place of freedom. It'll become a place of great fruitfulness both inside and outside the marriage. But it's not designed 
to work if we try to use marriage in our own design for our own purposes. So I want to talk about God's design for marriage today. And just a couple things I want to acknowledge as we come in. No matter what season you're in, because some of you here are saying, I'm not married yet. Does this message apply to me? Yes, it does in two different ways. Number one, one day you may be married. So I want to encourage you to take notes. And for some of us, this is going to be a perspective shift on marriage. Uh, but, but secondly, there's just, there's just, whenever we open up the Word of God, I believe God's going to speak to us in all kinds of different ways, right? The Scripture says the Word of God does not return void. We believe that this is the authoritative you know, word of God for faith and practice that whenever we open it, God is going to speak to us. If you want to hear God, you can go first and foremost to Scripture, open it up, and let God speak to you. So God is going to speak to you today, and there's just some kingdom principles and wisdom that I believe you can take away from today as well. Secondly, I want to acknowledge that we all come from different backgrounds in here. Some of us, we didn't grow up seeing marriage done within God's design, and you're kind of left with what you have it's kind of the model, and, and you're trying to do the best with what you got. For many of us, uh, you know, uh, maybe we didn't see that. For some of us, maybe you've been through a divorce. For some of us here, maybe your marriage is barely hanging on. And I want to say there is hope. We're at different places. No matter where you're at on this thing, some of us maybe are thriving. Some of us are struggling. I know none of us are doing perfectly in marriage, or some of you are maybe you're hoping to be married one day. Wherever you're at today, I believe God wants to meet you where you're at. The grace of God is here, and the truth of God is to meet you where you're at today and help you take a step forward. So not comparing to other people. I'm not sharing these kingdom principles designed as a way to kind of shame you, but actually to help you meet the grace of God to move forward in the power of God and build your marriage or future marriage on the rock. I believe as we look at these today, it's going to give us a foundation for, uh, to, to build a marriage upon but as I start real quick, I want to say that, you know, as God is the designer of marriage, when we talk about God's design for marriage, we need to look first to the designer, right? We need, we need the designer in the, middle of our, in, a, in the middle of a marriage for it to thrive. And I believe God must not only be in the center of a marriage, but God needs to be in the middle of the individual lives of the spouses within the marriage. Marriage is never meant to be just between two people. Now, I'm not getting weird. I'm not talking about polygamy. We're not getting weird here. What I'm saying is God designed marriage between uh, two people and for him to be in the middle of it. Two half people don't make a whole one. Two half people do not make a whole You know, it's not like, oh, you know, I, we just need to, I need to find someone that completes me. Right? Who is that person out there one day that will perfectly complete me? And I would say, no, the only person that can complete you, the only person that can give you identity and purpose, as we talked about last week, is God himself. And it's on that foundation that we built. I mean, how many guys, if you're like me, on a bad day without God, you're a hot mess? Right? On a bad day without God, if you're like me, man, I'm a hot mess. You don't want to be around me if I'm not walking with God that day, if I'm just choosing myself that day and not Jesus and others. And what we do is we, kind of, we take one hot mess and hoping that we find someone who will kind of cool us down. But instead, we get another hot mess, and we put those two hot messes together. we got a big hot mess now. Right? We need God in the middle of it. I believe to the extent that we are personally getting filled personally in God in a marriage will be the extent that we have to break our cycles of conflict, to break the patterns of our family of origin, to the extent that we're personally getting filled in our own lives with God will be the extent that we have to breathe healing life on each other as spouses and love unconditionally. And even the extent that we're getting filled personally will give us to that freedom then to enjoy the journey with one another and not try and take one another out. As I said, coming in this series, if you want to be a source for someone else, you need to go to the source yourself. As a little illustration here, as I just kind of give this foundational point, right? Your individual pursuits after God will bring you and your spouse closer together. 
Intimacy with one another comes from the overflow of your individual pursuits of God. Y'all see how that works? The closer you go up that line, the closer that line to get in the bottom is going to be. Right? That person does not replace God. But it's God at the middle of it that will actually bring it together. And by the way, that's not a pulley system. That's not like if I pursue God, you know, then I'll, I'll like force my spouse up or something like that. Each individual is responsible to pursue God. And I just want to say, for, especially for you singles looking to mingle one day, or if you're dating, this why it's important that we are cultivating our personal lives in God, right? As I talked about that with dating, that runway analogy, right? You're not just, your purpose of your life is not to find a spouse. Your purpose of your life is to pursue God. And by the way, that doesn't change when you get a spouse, and if you try to make that change, it's not going to go well. All right, so just a little kind of visual for you to have in your head as we move forward. So, so many times I could say in our marriage, we didn't know the way forward. We were trying to figure out what to do. And, and it is we ran to God. We fell on our faces. We prayed and we cried out. We went to his word and said, God, what do you have to say to us? And God took us forward. Um, okay. So God needs to be at the center. But I want to go a little bit deeper into God's design. So right, right, just foundationally, if we want to understand God's design for marriage, we need to go to the designer, have him at the center. But I want to go a little bit deeper than that. And um, I believe marriage is literally made to be a representation and proclamation of the good news of Jesus or the gospel. Jesus, uh, sorry, marriage is made to be a representation and proclamation of the gospel. That word means good news of Jesus. The entire thing of marriage is to be built on, fueled by, and reflecting the good news of Jesus. And I want to look at a passage today that I believe gives us kind of an amazing picture of the gospel. Amazing picture of the good news of Jesus that describes our union with God, his sacrificial love for us, that made that happen. And as we look at this just picture of the gospel, this gives us a picture and a value set that we are to reflect in our marriages. So if you have a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 10. The presence will be coming down. Let's have a marriage team right there, living it out, living out the kingdom dynamic duo. Jordan Ashley Perez will have Bibles in their hands. If you need a Bible, just put your hand up, and they'll get you one. <coughs> But I want to look at Paul's letter here to the Romans. And really, uh, this is the first eight chapters. Romans are an incredible picture of the good news of Jesus. And so we're going to find ourselves there in the middle, Romans chapter 5. We're going to verse 6 through, through 10. And Paul is kind of describing the good news of Jesus to the Romans. He said, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Man, that's an, that is good news. That is good news, right, that we were enemies of God. God didn't save us when we were doing good. While we were sinners, in the depth of our depravity and sin, God came after us and saved us out of that place. That's good news. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God, I've got great news for you. It's not your good works that's going to save you. It's not by being a good person that's going to save you. Jesus is going to save you in your sin, in your brokenness, just like he met me. And just like he met everyone else in this room. And you can have a relationship today, not by being a better person, but by calling upon the name of Jesus and letting him save you. That is good news. And so as we read this passage, I want to just look at kind of four gospel building blocks, four 
four kind of components that are just drawn from the good news. They're going to give us marriage building blocks. They're just, they're just built upon the gospel. <clears throat> and I believe if you'll take these four things and apply them to your marriage or your future marriage, whether your marriage is going well or whether you're struggling here today, if you'll begin to put these into the foundation of your marriage, I believe uh, this is going to lay an incredible foundation as you attend to these four just gospel or good news-centered principles in your life that are just built on the foundation of Christ. I want to say two things real quick as well. I know that many of our families' life groups are going through marriage content for a number of weeks. So if you want to jump in on that, we have family life groups that meet, as well as other life groups, non-families that meet all throughout the week. We also have a couple in our church that are traveling most of the year, but they actually have a marriage ministry. Dave and Mary, give us a wave. Uh, <clears throat> They have a ministry called The Significant Marriage, uh, and Hunter and Rebecca, who are also life group leaders, Hunter, give us a wave. We've got a sick kid, so Hunter's solo today. Um, they are also trained in this. So in April, uh, Dave and Mary, they're going to be putting on a significant marriage uh, weekend. So if you want to meet them and hear more about doing a significant marriage uh, weekend, you can meet them in the back right after church. My wife and I went through it at a great time. So just four kind of gospel building blocks that we look when we look at this scripture. Number one is committed covenant. <clears throat> committed covenant. Now, what is a covenant? A binding agreement between two parties establishing a bond. A covenant is a binding agreement between two parties establishing a bond. Now, when we look at this passage in Romans 5, what happens is that when we get saved, when we get reconciled to God like this passage is talking about, we enter into his covenant. And that's great news. Aren't you thankful that when God saves you, when God adopts you, when God makes you his own and makes you a new creation, as Scripture said, he's not like, hey, one more, bro, and you're done. <clears throat> he's not like, hey, if you mess up again, buddy, if you go too far from me, just, we're going we're gonna to cut this off. I'm breaking my end of the deal. But I'm so thankful that Scripture says he will never leave or forsake us. He will always love us. Love the end of Romans 8. It says, there's, you know, um, we, how high, how wide, how, or, I'm sorry, Romans says, no, no height, no depth, no, no breath can separate us, no anything else can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He's committed to us. And you see that picture throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, God chooses a people who are kind of the least of these and makes them his own. And though they sin again and again and again, he's committed to them and he's faithful to them. You see that played out in the book of Hosea, which is a beautiful picture of God calling you know, to pursue uh, someone that, that, is, that is running the other way. You just see this picture of God's faithful, committed covenant to his people all throughout scripture. I'm thankful that is who God is. And marriage is a reflection of that. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus was talking about marriage. He said this, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Marriage is a committed covenant. Whether it's going well, whether it's not going well, that's why we say oftentimes in vows, till death do us part. Marriage is a committed covenant. Y'all, we've got to get this. Because you see, in our culture, I, I think we often believe that since sometimes we, we come into marriage haphazardly, that we can get out of marriage haphazardly. Right? That's why we're doing a little dating talk before this. Right? There's not one way to date, but we want to be purposeful and intentional. And, and so we might come into marriage, whether you came into marriage haphazardly or not. We don't just fall out of marriage haphazardly. It's a covenant. And it's actually this covenant together that is the strength of a marriage. It's this covenant together that is the strength of the marriage, right? It's not like... When it gets hard, you know, when, when we're frustrated, when it feels impossible, we don't run. Love does not run, it sacrifices. And what committed covenant does, it puts boundaries around us and creates a container so that when it gets the hardest, we have to push back into God and back into one another. And that's what real love is. Yes, there's many different, uh, you know, Hebrew words for love, 
But ultimately, when it talks about the love of God, when it talks about the love of God in the book of Romans, it's talking about that agape love, that unconditional love of God that sacrifices. So the love that's going to keep your marriage together is not a feeling. It's a choice that comes from the overflow of a committed covenant with someone else. So when it's tough, that covenant pushes us into one another. So we just committed early on before we got married, we're not going to use a D word. We're not going to threaten in a conflict with the word divorce. It's not an option. We also just made a decision on we're not daydreaming on a bad day. What would it be like to be married to someone else or not be married? All right, y'all, getting real. You want to know if you're married to the right person? Well, if you're married to him, you're married to the right person. <clears throat> and just for anyone now or in the future who may be kind of so into that daydreaming, flirting around emotionally with the thought of connecting even emotionally with someone else. And, you know, sometimes we think that feels so right. I want to say I don't care how it feels, that's not of God. Scripture says the heart is deceitful above all else. The grass is not greener on the other side, guys. The grass is greener where we water it. Committed covenant keeps us together. I want to encourage you to take every thought captive, like Scripture says, and make it obedient to Christ. Don't even inch close there because, man, within committed covenant, like remember that quote I read earlier, freedom is not the absence of boundaries. It's something fulfilling its purpose. Within committed covenant, there is life. All right, next point. Uh, another gospel principle that we build marriage on is persistent pursuit. Persistent pursuit. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, back to our passage. It says this, what Jesus did. It says, but while, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Two things. Number one, that, that he intentionally came our way. He intentionally pursued us. We weren't pursuing him. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, what did he have to do that? Jesus is God. He came out of heaven, Right? He, he could have been a whole lot more comfortable. He put on, as God, he put on human flesh, went through our experience, suffered what we suffer and worse, and went to the cross and died a brutal death. Talk about pursuit. That is pursuit. That is his love demonstrated. Do you want to know if God loves you? Look to the cross. He gave it all for you. He sacrificed for us. He pursues sacrificially. So in our marriages, if we want connection and intimacy, it's going to cost you something. Maybe it didn't cost you that much to get married, or maybe it did cost you a lot to get married, depending on how you did your wedding. <laughs> Marriage may not necessarily cost us a lot, but connection and intimacy and that ongoing, it's going to cost you a lot. In fact, it may cost you everything. So we come in oftentimes with kind of different expectations and different principles that we kind of hang on to, and we want marriage to look a certain way. We come from different backgrounds, um, but it's going to cost us something. In fact, there's a, a principle in the kingdom of God that we find life by laying down our life. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 to 25, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself little vision for marriage right there. Hey, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, as I was preparing for this talk, I just reached out to a few different married couples in our church, which, by the way, if I didn't reach out to you, you probably have a great marriage. Joke. I just couldn't reach out to everyone. Um, but I, I love what, uh, so I'm going to reference just a few different marriages at a few different points, just revelation points they have, because there's just an abundance of wisdom in this room. I love uh, the Pereiras. They said this, we, we learned that a Christian marriage does not offer a choice between fulfillment and sacrifice, but rather mutual fulfillment through mutual sacrifice. Woo! I love that. It's not, it's not 
Am I going to be fulfilled or do I have to be the sacrificer? No, we have mutual fulfillment in marriage through mutual sacrifice. That's what we see reflected in scriptures like Ephesians 5 and different passages. So it's a pursuit. It's a persistent pursuit of our spouse. If we're not intentionally, consistently, and sacrificially moving toward one another, we'll find ourselves drifting apart. I want to encourage you this. Never pause the pursuit in your marriage. Never pause the pursuit. I think especially for us dudes, we're like, when we're, you know, we see a girl and we're like, hey, you know, and, and we start dating, we got we to get to marriage. And so marriage becomes like the finish line for us, right? We pursue, we're creative, we spend money, we're doing it, we're, we're being like, man, crummy up with ideas, you know, you never thought of before. And all of a sudden you're married and we have a tendency to kind of stop at that point. I won. You know, I did it. Listen, marriage is not the finish line, it's the starting line. It's the starting line of pursuit. It's the starting line of getting to know one another deeper. It's the starting line of going into to deeper relationship with one another and, and, and discovering more of who each other are and who Christ in each other are. And there's different ways to pursue and to move forward. One is, is by serving your spouse. Serving your spouse. And and, and we need to, when we think about serving, recognize the differences between how you want to respond and how they want to be pursued, right? How I many you know that your preferences may be different than someone else's? You ever heard of something called the love language? Love languages, five love languages. I think it's like a Gary Chapman thing or something like that. Five love languages is like, you know, <clears throat> uh, acts of service and gifts and words of encouragement. So for the first few years of my marriage, I was pursuing my wife like I like to be pursued because I think everyone should be like me, right? (laughs) I don't actually think that, but we actually kind of think that. We think either everyone should be like us or everyone is like us, so I thought I was crushing it. I'm like, man, if I were her, I would feel so loved. (laughs) Soon to find out, she opened up. She's like, hey, you're amazing. I thank you that you're so intentional, but man, I actually feel real love when you do this, which I wasn't even doing at all because it's not how I feel love. So I had to adjust and go outside my comfort zone and pursue my wife by sacrificing my preferences so she could have more of her preference. You know what? She started doing the same for me. Mutual sacrifice brought mutual life, right? Serving. So there's many ways to serve, but that's one way we pursue. Another way we pursue is just through relational connection. You know, it's possible, especially throw some kids in there, it's possible to live under the same roof and to be great managers of a life together, but not to have a deep relationship with one another. You throw a job in there, you throw financial problems in there, you throw, you know, <clears throat> kids in there, you throw other stressors in there. It is possible to think you're connected, but not be connected. And so what that means is moving towards one another relationally, emotionally, and physically consistently, Right? And for me, that was actually a season of just being disciplined. I'm just going to give her a hug, not just a side hug on the way out. Hey, give me like a 10-second just hug before we go. I love you. I'm going to pray for you. You're my girl. Come on. All over again. I'm going to pursue you. And guys, by the way, she wants a little physical touch that doesn't always lead to the bed later. I'm just giving you all a little hint. Another just thing on, 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 on relational connection, just getting real, y'all. Go on dates. Don't stop dating your spouse along the way. Go on dates. And sometimes that's doing something the spouse likes, okay? How about words? Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. We can, pursue, we can pursue our spouse or tear down our spouse by our words. Now, some of us, we need to learn how to be a prophet in our own house. What, what do I mean by that? We need to learn how to speak out who God created our spouse to be, sometimes even before they're walking in that, right? We need to learn to affirm and encourage and build up with our words rather than tear down with our words. And sometimes we get in cycles that we end up tearing one another down. When my wife, I might be a little insecure sometimes. When my wife says, hey, you got this, babe. I believe in you. I'm like, yeah, I can do this. <laughs> Literally, I'm like, 
Man, her words have power in my life. A spouse's words have power over one another. We need to learn to be speakers of life and prophets in our own homes, right? Singles, you can take the same and do with your friends, with your roommates. We need to learn to speak life, to pursue each other by speaking life to each other. But it's going to cost you something, right? It's going to mean you move outside your preference. It's going to mean you move outside your comfort zone. It's going to mean you're intentional because sometimes it's not always a feeling. In fact, most times it's not a feeling. <laughs> right? Um, okay. Uh, so it's going to cost something. Third little gospel center, just principle point for us, is renewed reconciliation. Renewed reconciliation. Romans chapter 5, verse 10 says this, For while we were enemies with God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Now that word reconciled means to bring together those who were at variance with one another. Or to return into favor or right standing with someone. So with God, when we were enemies of God, because of the good news, because of the cross, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we were brought by his power back into right standing with him. Not by our works, but by what he did and our faith in him. And in our marriage, when we were married, we were brought together and made one with one another. Behind me, you know, just because you became one in marriage, it's going to take a little work to remain one. Everything will come at you to divide and conquer you. In fact, when you look at the scripture, that is the enemy's plan, not only in relationships, but just in God's kingdom. The enemy wants to come in, and he wants to divide and conquer. It's going to take work to remain one along the way. You've got to continually renew your reconciliation with one another. Now, coming to marriage, I, kinda, I, kinda, I wasn't sure, you know, especially really before we got a little marriage, uh, premarital counseling, I wasn't sure if, if conflict was normal, right? What I learned, uh, it takes a little conflict to remain one. It's what I like to call heated fellowship. <clears throat> Sometimes you have a little heated fellowship with your spouse, right? But I love this passage as well. We were enemies of God. <laughs> Sometimes you feel like your spouse is your enemy. Right now, I grew up, I'm competitive, and I am like, you know, many generations above me are attorneys. So I'm, I'm competitive, I like to be quick-witted, and I like to win. And so, man, I came in, and, 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 and I like to win a little. I used to be on debate in high school. Oh, you're going to invite a little debate, enemy, right? What I learned is you can win in an argument with someone to lose in the relationship. I love what Francis Chan said. He says, uh, winning is actually making you lose in God's kingdom because it doesn't look like Jesus. Looking like Jesus means you're going to lose oftentimes in what looks like winning. James 4, 6 says this, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. When we respond with pride, with arrogance, when we're trying to seek our own way rather than God's way, it can actually put us in a place where God opposes us. It's our response to one another that will determine our renewed reconciliation. Let me say this. It's our risk. Because conflict will happen, by the way. So when conflict happens, because y'all are two different individuals that have become one, when conflict happens, it is your response to the conflict that will determine the depth of your renewed reconciliation. So some of y'all are sitting here with problems because you are stuck in a cycle of response that you saw growing up, and it's what you know, and it feels justified in your mind, but before God, it's not. And you're just stuck in that pattern. All of a sudden, you find yourself kind of like in another planet in one area of your marriage. I love, uh, in his book, Love and Respect, a guy named Emerson Agris, uh, he drew something called the crazy cycle. Now, we talked about this actually about a month ago in our uh, relational value series. Without honor, if we feel dishonored, we have a tendency to react. And in our reaction, we often react back with dishonor in some way or another. 
right? And they have a tendency to react when they feel desired. So we get in these things that he calls crazy cycles in our relationships. Now, it doesn't take being married to know what a crazy cycle feels like because some of us have that with our boss. Some of us have that with, with a roommate or another friend. But we get, especially you'll feel in a marriage, into things we call a crazy cycle. Romans chapter 12, verse 10, it says, we're to love one another with brotherly affection and to outdo one another in showing honor. That idea of outdo one another in showing honor actually needs to be, can be an initiator of, of honoring, an initiator of showing honor. So what we need to do is break the crazy cycle, initiate, be the, the cycle breaker. We need to initiate honor in something we call an energizing cycle. So regardless of whether we're honored or dishonored, regardless of whether we feel we honor that person because they're made in the image of God, we honor that person because they're one with us, we honor that person because what God is doing, we don't react, we proact. We need to live proactively with our spouse, not reactively. And what happens is it breaks the pattern and it actually energizes the marriage. And so we need to realize that conflict isn't necessarily bad, but it is a doorway to life or death. When done poorly, it's a doorway to dishonor and division. And you'll keep going deeper and deeper into dishonor and division the longer that cycle goes. And some of y'all have had cycles for years and years that y'all haven't dealt with. You wonder why you feel disrespected and frustrated and sensitive every single time that God's brought up. And we understand that because we've worked through some of it ourselves and continue to do that. Or it is a doorway to intimacy and unity. Some of your most fragile places that have felt dishonoring can be some of your strongest places and places you connect with your spouse the most. Because it's in that place you need Jesus the most. It's in that place you're going to be the most vulnerable with your spouse. Hey, I really feel this way. I get insecure every time this goes up. I feel vulnerable when you say this. I feel frustrated when you say this because I'm not sure if you love me. And then that spouse can say, I do love you. Let's go to God together. Let's reconcile. And all of a sudden, that place of disunity, that place of crazy becomes a place of energy. So some of us, we think, man, we got so much conflict this could be the end of our marriage. This, this is going on the wrong way. And God's actually saying, no, this is actually the gateway into your unity. This is actually the gateway into what I have for you. This is actually the gateway into the blessing and abundance that you're trying to have. I love uh, what the prayer has said, and I was talking about marriage. He said, we learned early on that there's no back door to escape out of conflict. The more you escape, the more crazy cycle you're going into. So you've got to press in and have healthy conflict and figure out what that looks like. So I want to just talk about some rules of engagement. Some rules of engagement with healthy conflict. I love some of the blank and chips, Craig and Jackie, Craig associate pastor here. Hey. They actually created a document uh, with some rules of engagement. So I put together this, and it's just it's some things I came up with, but also just some different pieces that different couples said when I talked to them about marriage. One, one is be prayerful. Just start, right, that whole first diagram, all right, just be prayerful, right? So part of not reacting is saying, I'm going to pray, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Okay, now let me re-engage the conversation, right? I have a lot of Jesus, Jesus moments in my life, and some of y'all need some more Jesus, Jesus moments. Communicate honestly and humbly. Conflict resolution does not come by stuffing, we need to be open about what's going on, right? Communicate honestly and humbly, right? Be quick to listen and slow to speak. By the way, that's a Bible verse, James 1.19. That's not just a good idea. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. And something that goes along with that that the Blankenship said, they said, we're committed to assuming the best in the other person and seeking to understand. What does that mean? Instead of accusing their character... You are this, or surely they're just, you're going to believe the best and lean towards, they probably did not intend that, and they may not even be aware of how it came across, and so I'm going to first seek to understand. I'm going to be quick to listen and slow to speak. For example, hey, I know you want me to feel loved, but when this happened, I did not feel loved, so could you please explain this to me? It's a little different than, 
every time you do this, right, which brings me to my next point, um, avoid statements. I'm going to skip down to avoid statements like never and always. If you're saying you always do this or you never do this, you may be reacting. Because we rarely always do the same thing. I mean, think of your life. How often do you always do the same thing or never do the same thing, right? It's typically not that black and white, and it makes that person feel like they can never win and they've never won, which is not true. Keep short accounts. I love, uh, so the nieces said that one. The nieces also said, we keep short accounts and resolve quickly. We keep short accounts and resolve quickly. Jen was up here two weeks ago. That's Jen and Brian niece. Ephesians 4, verse 26 and 27 say this. Be angry and do not sin. I love what he says. Be angry. It's okay to be frustrated. He's not saying shut down your emotions. Say, no, it's okay to be frustrated, but do not sin when you're frustrated. You've got a choice. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. How many know when you leave unresolved conflict in place and you let it fester, that is the devil just came through the front door? It says, give no opportunity to the devil. Like I said, conflict is a doorway to intimacy in life or a doorway to death. So we don't want to give foot to the devil. So what we, hey, we're, we're not going to let the sun go down our anger. Last night, we had a, a small conflict. She's tired. I have jet lag. I've got a sermon to finish writing because the internet wasn't working on the plane. And I'm like, I don't have time to resolve this. But we committed. I'm not letting the sun go down anger. So I had to discipline myself because I didn't feel like resolving the anger to, to go back in and say, hey, I'm going to repent first because I was partially in the wrong here. And I, I repent. I didn't force her to repent to me. I just said, hey, I'm going to own my side. I'm for you. I love you. And we had a great conversation. All right. But it is a discipline because we want to shut the door on the devil. Yeah, it feels good. Shut the door on the devil. Who wants to shut the door on the devil? Anyone? I like that song that just came. Let the devil know not today. You can let him not know not today in your marriage. I'm being a little cheesy, but it's good. <laughs> Another one that Blankenship said is repenting first. So often we want the other person to come to us and repent. And so often we have the log in our own eye and we can't see that they've actually got something errant. We need to repent first. First thing we need is remove the log from our own eyes so we can actually see what's happening. What issue do I have? What fault do I have? And instead of demanding the other person to do something, let's commit to looking at ourselves first and saying, you know what, this is my part in it. I'm going to repent first. And by the way, just feeling bad is not resolving a conflict. Just saying, hey, I'm feeling that you're sorry is not saying repentance resolves a conflict. Repentance means I'm, I, I had the wrong perspective on this. I'm actually changing my perspective and going back to what is true and right, and I'm changing my direction on this. For so often, we would just feel sorry, or we'd talk about it, and it wouldn't change because we actually weren't making a decision to change. We just felt bad that it got uncomfortable. So I felt bad that it was uncomfortable. And I felt bad that she felt bad, but I didn't feel bad enough to repent. So once I started leading and repenting and saying, I'm owning this and I'm calling it sin. Last night, I was a little short in my response because I felt misunderstood. That is, I called it sin. And I said, I need to repent for this and not do this next time. Once we started repenting in our conflicts, the crazy cycle went out the door in, in numerous places. So feeling bad is not resolution. <clears throat> Repenting before Jesus and one another brings, will end your crazy cycles quickly. All right? So a little note. If some of y'all got some crazy cycles, that's even for you single, different just relationships in general. Repenting, uh, going to that person, not stuffing it, talking, repenting will end your crazy cycles. All right? Um, recognizing when you're flooding. So when the blank ship said that when you're boiling up, hey, I need a minute. Give me a second. I can't think straight because I'm about to explode. I'm going to throw up the surrender flag for five minutes. I'll be right back. That doesn't mean two days. doesn't mean three days. Five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I need Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. <clears throat> right? Bring in a mediator if they need it, right? So every once in a while, we've, hey, give me your opinion. This. We, can't seem to see, we can't seem to see eye to eye. It's a tongue twister. Can't seem to see eye to eye. And I love what Denise says, just embracing that marriage will be messy. It just means embracing that the journey is going to be messy. 
Um, and, it, and if you're sitting here and you got some work to do in one of these, by the way, we all have a little bit of work to do. So if you're like, oh, we're going we're gonna to grow. Um, welcome to the club. What I, what I want to encourage you to do is not to nudge your spouse and tell them what they need to do. You start with yourself and say, here's what I'm going to do coming out to move forward in this area. Lastly, I want to end by just talking about marriage on mission. Real quickly, marriage on mission. Now, I know there's not a lot of ponds out here in California, a little drier, but I grew up in the Midwest with a lot of ponds. Anyone try to swim in a pond like midsummer? The water is a small little body of water. It gets hot. It grows all kinds of like algae and nasty stuff. So one time I thought it'd be fun when I was young to, to swim in a pond. I came out covered in algae and about 100 leeches. I literally had to sit there flicking the leeches because the water is just sitting still. It's sitting still in the same place. So what happens when it's sitting still, it just starts growing all kinds of nasty stuff. Now, I want to compare that to a river. It's moving. It doesn't allow that stuff. It just keeps it moving on, and it becomes a, reflect, a refreshing place to take a little swim. Now, big idea here. In the kingdom of God, life doesn't happen by preserving our lives, but by giving it away. Life does not happen by preserving our lives, but by giving our lives away. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 8, verse 35. For whoever would come, I'm sorry, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will find it. Listen, let me say it like this. Your marriage will be most fulfilling and secure when it's not about you, but when you're living in God's mission together. Your marriage will be most fulfilling and secure when your marriage isn't about you anymore and it's about him and them. I love what Francis Chan said. He said, the end goal of the Christian is life is not to have a happy family. So often that's why, you know, talking about this series, we feel unfulfilled as singles because like, if I'm gonna live the Christian life, I need to have a happy family. If I'm not doing that, then I feel, no, no, the end goal of the Christian life is not to have a happy family. That may be a byproduct if that's what God has for you and you're intentional, but that's not the end goal. The end goal of the Christian life is the glory of God and advancing his glory on this short life on earth. All right, I love just... Reading the Bible, um, I was thinking about Priscilla and Aquila. And so often we think if I'm going to be, we're going to have a missional marriage, then we need to be in ministry. But some of the best people I know living this out, they're, they're just, uh, they're, not, they're not in vocational ministry, but they see themselves as ministers because we all are ministers. Priscilla and Aquila, they weren't a necessarily ministry couple, but they had a ministry because they knew they were Christians. And they were married, so therefore they had a ministry. Uh, so they were tent makers. They had a business. And they were, found themselves in the center of the book of Acts because instead of just sitting back and saying, man, we're married, let's get settled, let's get established, let's be comfortable, they leaned in. They leaned into the uncomfortability and said, in this short life, how can we leverage what we have for the advancement of the gospel? So you look at that couple, they used what they had. They were tent makers. They leveraged their business. They leveraged their relationship. They leveraged their theology. They leveraged their resources as a couple to advance God's kingdom. They were hospitable. And I love what one person said. They said they, they, they were game for it. They, they were a couple that they had game. What it means by that is they were all in. All right, I'm down with that. Hey, should we talk to Apollos? I'm down. I'm game. Let's do it. Let's go minister. Are we, are we going to sacrifice? Great. I'm game. Let's do it. Let's, let's be, let's be, uh, I'm in game kind of people. I was thinking about this. I was reminded of uh, a, a couple that I was just with in Texas a uh, couple months ago. Um, and, and this couple, you know, they, they could be very comfortable. They have a great business. They could be very comfortable. They got great kids. Uh, but instead, it, I ended up staying the night with them. And they said, man, our home is not just a place to raise our kids, but it's also a place to be hospitable for others when they come in. They said, man, our business is not about us, nor is it about making money. The money we make, we want to leverage for the kingdom of God. And they said, beyond that, we're trying to expand our business into places like the Middle East so that we can make a wide open doorway for the gospel of Jesus in places that couldn't otherwise be reached. They're training their kids up in the same way. I, I love it. They, they, were, they were all in kind of people. They're also trying to, to gather different people together in the body of Christ to help stir a generosity movement for those that had wealth in West Texas for the kingdom of God. I love that. They could have been comfortable, but they said our life 
is short and what's best for us, what's actually best for our kids and what's best for all of eternity is leveraging everything we have for his kingdom. I love so many different couples as I look around the room here, that's what you do. You have people in your homes. You disciple others. You care for others. You have people over for meals. You you give out. You go to work on a mission, not just to make money, to be more comfortable. You go to work and you leverage generosity and you leverage your job to advance the kid. I want to say thank you to the many couples who are living on mission in this church. We've all been blessed by it. Think of the Standifers who, who are literally taking their retirement and they moved in uh, to an apartment complex down here to leverage their lives, to leverage retirement for the gospel. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Let me say this to you guys who are married and those of you guys who will be married. Don't waste your marriage on just trying to get comfortable. Paul talked about it in Corinthians. Marriage is fading away. You will not be married in heaven. Marriage is a great thing when we do it in God's design, but it's not the end game. The glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom are the end game. Therefore, when we get to the throne room at the end of our lives, I want to look over to Crystal and say, that was not comfortable. That was worth it, babe. I told you and you told me when we weren't comfortable, when we were sacrificing, when we were giving beyond our own means, I was, it was worth it. And look, we're here in the glory of God. Look at the lives we've impacted. That's amazing. And I want our kids to do the same thing. It doesn't just mean, right? I love what the blanks said. It says the blanket chips. They said the blanks. Call them the blanks. The blanket chips. They said when we got together, we decided our bottom line desire was that we wanted to do what God wanted us to do. It's not what does Craig want to do? What does Jackie? It's it's what does God want us to do? And we're going to give all we have. When your end goal is him and them, you will be healthier. Your marriage will be healthier. And you know what? It's actually what your kids need. Your kids need to know that their life, sure, draw healthy boundaries. You know, you're not always doing ministry. You know, give your kids your best time in that sense of it. But your kids need to know that life is not just about them. It's about them being the best athlete and go to the best school and do the next thing and just, and just wasting our life because I'm gonna give my best to the kids and this and that in this short life. And all of a sudden they're like, I don't even know my kids because I was trying so hard to give them the life I didn't have or whatever, and for them to be the best, that we've idolized them and worshiped them. Sure, give your kids some of your best time and attention. I got home from Dubai last, and I shut everything off. I'm giving my kids, sure, I need to write a sermon. My kids got my best attention, but listen, we don't worship family. We don't worship our kids. We worship Jesus. When you live on mission and bring your kids along the way, they'll actually have a healthier kingdom worldview, and they'll grow up to do the same. All right, y'all good? We're about to wrap this up. By the way, that means, means it's going it's to sacrifice. Because when you have a family, you got kids, life doesn't have much margin. And so to live as a people, the marriage on mission won't just be, I'm going to sacrifice this little deal over here. I'm going to give on the abundance of what we have. It's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you everything just like Jesus. And that's... Look back at our passage in Romans chapter 5. Jesus gave it all, and he invites us to do the same for his glory in the advancement of this good message that we, throughout this good news, he's inviting us to leverage it all. What I found that our most connected and fulfilled moments were when we were out doing what he called us to do. I believe yours will as well. Let's stand.